he grabbed me from behind around my neck and put me in a chokehold, telling me in detail how he was going to come to my house and kill my first and then I could watch and then he would then kill me. I've worked in this field for over 20 years and I have had three three student attacks that have sent me to the hospital. So I think most people when they hear what happened to you would their one of their last guesses would be that you are a teacher. It's important for people to know that this is happening. Teachers encounter um, a lot in a day. Um, and I think you tend to hear about teachers who um, might respond inappropriately to students. That's kind of what makes the news, but you don't hear about um, encounters teachers uh, have daily um, that aren't acceptable. In my job, being physically aggressed upon is like an everyday thing. It's frustrating when we don't have enough staff and knowing that we can get hurt on the job and not really feeling like um, maybe not feeling a whole lot of support and understanding from those um, people above us. From the University of Florida's Breckner Center for Freedom of Information, this is a Why Don't We Know extra episode about teachers who are attacked at work and why we often don't know about them. I like PTSD, a panic attack. For this episode, we have agreed to keep this teacher anonymous and distort their voice. It was, it was pretty significant um, for me. Um, and I think when you are in this kind of a traumatic environment day after day, um, it has lasting physical and emotional um, impacts on, on your body. Um, and I'm not the only one. And the reason is that the district where this teacher works does not have a great history of treating these incidents with concern. When there was an incident report written, um, administration would read it. They would have several questions as to why we did this. I don't know that it was intentional, but it felt like our credibility was being questioned anytime there was an incident report. It felt like we were certainly being looked at um, as the cause of these incidents. And mind you, these students have had life long uh, trauma issues, family issues, uh, mental health issues. Um, so it was feeling like we were, the staff were being blamed for some of these behaviors. Um, and no one ever calls us to make sure we're okay. I mean, we have to, I had to leave, I had to go to a hospital. Um, and I didn't hear from my district through all of that. Nobody should endure um, daily violence. This story might sound like a fluke, 
Maybe it sounds like an abnormality because it isn't the kind of story we often read about in the newspapers or hear about on TV. Certainly not the way that headlines about gun violence and bullying grab our attention. That's what makes this topic a data desert. There is, in fact, no way of knowing how many teachers there are out there with stories like this one, and how many of them don't have the support that they need. Our requests for this data from state departments of education in all 50 states turned up a broken recording system. What we found is that most of the time, data is kept on student violence, but it's not broken out by who the victim is. So, for example, in 46 states, you cannot check to see how many times teachers were violently attacked. All you can see is how many times students were accused of being violent. The victim could be another student, a parent, or someone else outside the school entirely. But stories are cropping up all over the country. Newspapers in six states that we could find have written about violent attacks on teachers. And many of them note the lack of data, how their reporters tried to look up the numbers in their states but struggled to find accurate information. The closest thing we could find to a nationwide view is a 2018 U.S. Department of Ed survey of teachers nationally. It reports that 10% of teachers say that they have been threatened, and 6% say they have been physically attacked. And if 6% seems like a small number, think of it this way. There are 3.5 million public school teachers in America. 6% is 210,000 teachers. 210,000 teachers attacked by students at school. Why do you think it is that districts are reluctant to accurately count this, to actually make this a category and keep data on it? Gosh, I mean, schools are underfunded. They're understaffed. It takes a lot of resources to work with these kids. There needs to be a witness. There needs to be um, somebody watching the situation, tagging out when you need to tag out. Um, and it's tricky to do that with the amount of staffing that we're allocated. And so um, maybe by not keeping track of these, they're just ignoring maybe the problem. I, I, I truly don't know. The National Education Association points out in a 2019 story that many teachers do not report assaults by students for fear of retribution. That's what was happening in New Hampshire, in the district where the teacher we spoke to works. We were feeling pressure every incident report we wrote. And it prompted the district's teachers' union president, Bill Gillard, to try to do something to improve the reporting. When I came on as president, I just kind of thought that I would be helping with making sure that we had a good newsletter and that our email service was up to date. Why don't we know reporter Angela DeMicola talked to Gillard about what happened. And shortly after you became the union president, you heard complaints from members who were concerned about growing violence um, from students. And so I began in, to, you know, kind of look into it and, and um, you know, the injuries were... Uh, very serious, you know, they, they were, um, and they were, most of the injuries stemmed from um, student, student violence against uh, teachers, not just teachers, but um, in New Hampshire, we call them ESPs, which is uh, an educational support professional. 
Uh, we basically have, you know, across the country, you might consider that a, a teacher's aide. He brought his concerns to the school board, telling them that not only was safety a problem, but the way that incidents were being reported or not being reported was also a big problem. Right off the bat, one of the biggest things that that um, came up in terms of about the injuries was uh, employees not being able to file injury reports to our department, of, the New Hampshire Department of Labor. And uh, in our district, we have what are called uh, critical incident reports. So those would be uh, filings that... Um, with the school as to what happened, you know, who was involved and and what was the, you know, the remedy to the situation, so on and so forth. And so um, these were not always kept and they were not always up to date. In New Hampshire, there is a law in the books called the Safe School Zones Act, which requires schools to report acts of violence to law enforcement within 24 hours of the incident. But the principals in the district had not been notified about it. They had not been uh, directed by our superintendent that these things needed to be reported. I mean, we've had incidents where um, where teachers have been, you know, uh, hit, struck by a student and they've broken bones and or, or gotten a concussion or, or um, you know, had sprained ligaments or had to have, you know, surgery or been brought to the emergency room. And, and some of these incidents were not being reported to the police. Bill explained that there is a profound consequence to failing to report to law enforcement. If the students are acting out and being violent, um, it's not only disrupting other kids' education and the teachers, but it's also disrupting their education. You know, you might have a family uh, situation where there's drugs in the home or there's only one parent. Or, um, you know, there's different things that are happening that are causing these children to act out. And the siblings, so a child at the elementary school and a child at the high school, are exhibiting similar behaviors. And so if they know about all of it, they're able to provide what we would call wraparound services. Or, you know, um, they can bring in uh, social workers, uh, mental health clinicians. Um, they can refer them to drug and alcohol counselors or, or whatever it w- would be needed. Um, and, it, you know, so w- we approached the superintendent saying, you need this data. You actually could do a better job at educating students if you had this. There's definitely a pushback to wanting to report all these incidents and wanting to um, be transparent about how many of these things occur in the schools. You know, and I don't know whether that's because they don't want the schools to look bad or uh, they don't want the public to think or be afraid of what's going on in the schools. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty difficult situation. Bill went to his state senator and lobbied for reform. And during that process, he found major inconsistencies in his state that mirror exactly what we found in our nationwide search. The data does not exist even at the Department of Education level. Um, First of all, there's no mandate that the schools report this data. So let's take an elementary student, for example. Let's say that they act out and they um, assault a teacher. Um, At a lot of the elementary schools, there is no definition of in-school or out-of-school suspension. So this student might assault a teacher. They might be taken and spend half the day in the principal's office or maybe the whole day, but the data is never recorded. So first of all, there's no 
guarantee that the data that the Department of Education is getting is accurate. And uh, secondly, the Department of Education in this committee said one of the issues is that we have no recourse if they don't file the report. So if a school district doesn't file, doesn't even send in the paperwork, they have, there's no law that says that they can sanction them or that they can you know, hold the superintendent accountable or anything like that. And then thirdly, the Department of Education through this committee brought forth the fact that they don't have any employees whose job it is to analyze the data. So even if the data was accurate and was arriving at our Department of Education, um, you know, complete and comprehensive, there's no one there who's actually looking at it to look at trends. Are the numbers increasing? Are they decreasing? What is the response? His push for change led to his district being fined more than $15,000 for failure to report. But it came at a personal cost for Bill Gillard. Yeah, so for a long time, it wasn't public knowledge that I had been disciplined. The district found that in raising concerns about these attacks, he violated federal student privacy law, FERPA. He told me they hit him with two FERPA violations for sharing an email with the teachers union about an incident where a student brought ammunition to school, even though he says it was de-identified. Well, the, um, the district alleges that we violated FERPA because um, we disclosed information that could be used to identify the student um, in specific incidents. Um, we never disclosed any student names. You know, we, we never used any names of students, any um, grades or genders. So we, we worked really hard to maintain um, appropriate uh, confidentiality while also being very concerned about, um, you know, safety issues that were um, grave. The district suspended him for a week. Pretty much every single parent who who found out about it was supportive of the union and, and, and you know, advocated um, on behalf of the teachers and the, um, the teachers union that these reportings need to happen and, and there needs to be accountability to, you know, to this data. But in the end, Gillard not only persisted, he prevailed. That's right. His lobbying on this issue led to the legislature to change the law in New Hampshire so that schools are now required to report all acts of violence that occur on campus. And they have to give annual reports to individual school boards. The legislation also requires the Department of Education and the Department of Labor to work together to address employee injuries from acts of violence. Since we last spoke, um, we they passed new, as a result of all the stuff that we were doing, they passed uh, new legislation in New Hampshire. So basically, schools are now required um, by law to report all acts of violence against um, employees, students, or visitors um, that occur on campus. So any assault, if no matter what it is, um, they have to report it to the Department of Education. And they have to give an annual report to their um, individual school boards within the localities. So those were not requirements in the past. So now we have two state organizations that are basically working to keep the school safe and the teachers safe. So that was a pretty big deal um, 
and we were pretty happy about that. But even in Keene County, where a spotlight was shown on this issue, there is still work to be done. We have far fewer incident reports this year, which I think that is um, attributing to saying no to some students who um, we didn't feel would be appropriate for public school. We still don't feel like we're, we're getting support from our district in getting training so we can be the best we can be um, in making sure we have enough staff. I think a lot of people will hear this and say, why do you keep doing this? I mean, somebody has to do this job, but... Yeah, my mom would like me to be a kindergarten teacher. Um, I think this has been in my blood forever. I came from a broken family, and growing up in a single parent household, I was certainly, um, I was noticing that I was treated a little differently, and my guidance counselor wasn't encouraging me to take chemistry and calculus. It was more like, hmm, you know, maybe you'll go to a trade school. Um, and I know, and I always, um, was fascinated by some of the kids who, you know, you'd call the bad boys or the back hall boys. And I just noticed they were treated very much differently than the rest of the population. And I was, I guess I was drawn to these students and um, tried to befriend them. And it kind of continued. Um, and I, I love it. Um, I do not love getting beat up, but um, I just love watching these kids learn to trust. Uh, sometimes it takes years. Um, sometimes you do not see um, the level of success on any standardized any standardized test. But um, when you see a student have a conflict and be able to work through that conflict without throwing chairs, without swearing. Um, and gain some confidence in themselves and their skills that it's it's very fulfilling. Do you think we're losing, we as a society are losing teachers like you because we don't pay attention to this issue? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're human. Um, and to have PTSD, um, you know, to not be able to have somebody come up from behind you and startle you. I, I mean, the residual trauma and stress is is really there. It's important to give us resources to teach these students, but it's also important to give us resources for our um, our mental health and well being. Um, teachers want to take care of everyone else before they take care of themselves. Someone needs to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm fortunate to work um, with a with an amazing team, and we take care of each other. Um, but I still feel like we've got a long way to go as far as um, being able to teach some of these high risk kids. This is why don't we know? This extra was written and produced by me, Sarah Gannam, with reporting by Angela DeMicola. The associate producer is Tori Whitten. This episode was edited by Amy Fu. Music for this episode was composed by Daniel Townsend. 
Audio mixing was done by James Sullivan. The executive producer is Frank Lamonti. Why Don't We Know is a production of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information at the University of Florida. A special thanks to the Hearst Family Foundation for providing the grant money that supported this reporting. For more information, please visit our website at www.whydontweknow.org.